0: Good morning, Access. Um, Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here at Access. Would you join me in praying? Gracious God, we invite your presence to speak to us and to be with us this morning. Help us to hear your words. We are open and we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm guessing most of you are familiar with the phrase voluntold. But just in case you're not, um, I checked on online for a couple different definitions of what that word means, and this is what I found. UrbanDictionary.com defines voluntold as when someone volunteers you without the option of you saying no. As in, your mom voluntolds you to babysit on a Saturday night. Uh, Collins Dictionary puts it this way. Voluntold is the exact opposite of volunteering. Um, And it's always used in reference to an unpleasant task to which you have been assigned by your boss or your parent, your teacher, uh, or God forbid, your pastor. If someone starts a question uh, with, why don't you fill in the blank, um, be prepared to get voluntold to do something. We are in a series right now examining Calling, And the idea of calling is this, that the God of the universe, the God we, we worship and we seek to follow, is a God who calls people to do good work. To do certain tasks and responsibilities and to fulfill certain purposes in life. So far, we've looked at the calling of two incredible biblical people, King David and Queen Esther. This week, we're going to look at the calling of the prophet Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is one of the more well-known Old Testament prophets. Uh, His writings are often quoted in the New Testament. And from Isaiah, you know, we get some of these very well-known verses. Verses like Isaiah chapter 40. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Or Isaiah 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Look, I'm doing a new thing. Or Isaiah 61, which Jesus quotes when he launches his ministry. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then at Christmas, we often hear Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. And on Good Friday, we often read Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. These are beautiful, comforting passages. And some of these are simply incredible for the way they foretell the coming of Jesus hundreds of years before he would actually come. But it would be a mistake to think that the calling of a prophet was simply about declaring encouragement and a hopeful future. Because if you read Isaiah, uh, you quickly see that for all the notes of hope, there is also the sound of judgment. Truth that is very hard to hear. In fact, some of these truths were so hard to hear and so bitter to swallow that many of the Old Testament prophets were ridiculed, rejected and despised. And so to be called as a prophet was a heavy and serious responsibility for one to bear. And if there was ever a job that God might want to volunteer and told someone, it would be the job of a prophet. Hey, Isaiah, why don't you go tell my people how badly they've messed up? But that's not what God does. And this morning, we're going to see how God calls Isaiah and how Isaiah responds. Let's dive into Isaiah chapter 6, which is this amazing account of Isaiah's calling. So beginning in chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices the doorposts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. In the year king Uzziah died. That small phrase in verse 1 does two things for us. First it locates this account historically. King Uzziah reigned over the southern kingdom of Judah until his death around 740 BC. And during his reign, the land of Judah enjoyed peace and prosperity. But following his death, Judah would soon enter a dark and extended period of time when foreign nations would attack the Jewish people one after the other, invading, oppressing, taking them captive, and eventually exiling them. It was a very difficult, difficult time. Secondly, the phrase, in the year King Uzziah died, sets up this blazing contrast between the finiteness of man and the glory and power of God. In the year that the great king died, just as all kings and queens and presidents and rulers before him and after him would because, of all, because all of us, you know, no matter how powerful we are, are human. And being human means we die. But in stark contrast, there is God, the eternal one, seated. Not nervous, not pacing around, not anxious, but seated. Seated and in control. Seated and sovereign on a heavenly throne. Try if you can to picture the scene described in verses 1 through 4. I imagine a vast room swirling with light and pulsating with power. There are these awesome heavenly beings flying around and you hear this angelic chorus, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, Lord Almighty. And the heavenly base shakes the room. All of this lays the foundation for the first insight about calling from this passage. And it's this. That calling originates from the glorious Holy One. There is a difference between God, the God who calls, and we who respond. We are not at the same level. God is not one to be minimized, ignored, or trifled with. Uh, growing up, my mom would yell my name uh, to get my attention and to get me to come down to eat. She would say, "Johnny!" At this, <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it justice, but she would yell at the, you know, at a really high-pitched sound. Um, and you know, you could hear from any room in the house. Uh, in fact, I think, you know, my neighbors could probably hear when my mom was calling for me. Uh, but that, that didn't necessarily mean I responded. I could ignore it. Sometimes I did, or I could just wait because I felt like I had more important things to do at that very moment. And quite frankly, it was sometimes it was a bit disrespectful. But how might we respond when the glorious Holy One calls to us? Do we ignore it? Do we say, oh, wait a second. Hold on. I'm busy right now. No, we take it seriously. We treat it with the gravity that it deserves. And this is what Isaiah does. In verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah's first response to the calling of God, to the calling of the glorious Holy One is total humility. Not I have something to offer. Hey, use me but repentance and contrition. Isaiah is filled with a deep sense of his humanity, his and his people's brokenness before a holy and perfect God. And he says, I am sinful, and I live among a people who are sinful. There's no trace of entitlement, no arrogance or pretense, just vulnerability. Just hands covering eyes and lips and face in sorrow. And this brings us to our second insight about calling. God's calling disintegrates all falsehood, the falseness of human pride, and the false separation from those we serve. When God calls, it is not to puff up our egos. Rather, it is to expose our dependence and need. God's calling places us not over the people we might be called to serve, but alongside them as one of them. Have you noticed that often those in the helping professions are there because they have experienced some sort of hardship in those areas, either personally or via people that they cared about? And it's like they feel a calling to care, for example, for those with mental health challenges. Because they've seen and they've experienced it and they know how debilitating it can be. They've walked in those places and they've seen loved ones walk in those places and those steps. Isaiah knows that the guilt and judgment that his people deserve are also the guilt and judgment that he deserves. But then look at what happens next. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You see, God graciously meets Isaiah in this moment of vulnerability and humility. God purifies and cleanses Isaiah as Isaiah admits his guilt and his brokenness before the Lord. And this brings us to our third point, that God's calling, it forms and it shapes us. We like to think, I'm going to do this good work for God, forgetting that in reality, the good work is in us as much as it is in the people we are called to serve or the thing we're called to do. And then only then comes the great invitation. You see, God doesn't volunteer Isaiah. Instead, he asks, Who will I go? Who will go? In verse 8 Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. These words, these words have the power to change everything. On the lips of God's people, on the lips of those who follow Jesus, these words release divine power against the curse of death and evil. These words show us that God's calling invites our full and surrendered yes. Can you imagine if Isaiah didn't say anything? And he like looked over his shoulder to see if someone else might say yes. It's kind of like when you're in a group of people, maybe at like a Bible study or a small group, or at the dinner table, and someone asks, uh, who wants to pray you know, to close us out? Or who wants to pray for the meal? Uh, oftentimes, it's crickets. Everyone kind of looks down, trying to avoid making eye contact. How silly it is that we try to avoid eye contact with God. But still we try. You know, we duck, we hide, we run away like Jonah. Or we can, with faith, courage, and humility, be like Esther, who said, I will go. And if I perish, I perish. We can be like David, who said, I'll face that giant. We can be like Isaiah, here am I, send me. And then in verses 9 through 13, God tells Isaiah what this call will entail. He said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, They might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, and until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak, leave, and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Remember I said something about Isaiah's words not being all encouragement and hope? This is one example of that judgment part. Isaiah's message was one of judgment and hope. These two themes are held in tension throughout Isaiah. God was going to judge Israel for its rebellion, its idolatry, its injustice, the way they treated their poor and vulnerable. And the consequence of that would be conquest by foreign nations, beginning with the Assyrians, Then the Babylonians, and then the Persians. But you see, God was also going to renew Israel through this judgment. Through it, God was purifying and cleansing Israel, not abandoning her. And ultimately, God would fulfill his promise to bring justice and peace to the whole world, to all nations, which was the calling of Israel. This, of course, was fulfilled through the coming and the reign of Jesus. And is what scholars believe is alluded to in the phrase, the holy seed in verse 13. And so there's this note of judgment, but it ends with hope. The hope of the coming of the Messiah of Jesus. Now, Isaiah didn't live long enough to see this hope fulfilled. He only got to see the beginning of judgment. And that brings us to our final insight about calling. The impact of our calling is sometimes very different than what we might have expected or hoped. The people didn't respond to Isaiah's message. They didn't turn from their ways. They actually fulfilled his very words by rejecting his message. That's what it means when it says, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Have you ever felt called to something and felt very passionate about it, but the results, the outcome of that calling was not what you expected? You are not alone in that. That can be very confusing. It can do a number on our faith, but know this. Isaiah shows shows us that God's calling sometimes doesn't turn out the way we had imagined, and yet we can trust in God's goodness and His grace. We don't get to control the outcome of our calling, nor its impact. At the end of the day, the only thing we have influence over is whether we are faithful with our calling. To apply ourselves, to offer our strength and our heart and our talents to whatever it is, whatever it is that God is calling us to. This is what we can do. And whether people follow, whether things grow, whether hearts are changed, we don't control that. Isaiah chapter six captures the awesome calling of Isaiah. And all these years later, his story and his message, they continue to speak to us. There are two ways that we might hear this and apply it to our lives. First, at a personal, at an individual level, as you and I think about our own sense of calling, we would do well to remember that calling is not something to be trifled with or taken lightly because it originates from the glorious Holy One, the One who is seated on the throne. God's calling disintegrates falsehood from our lives as we face our inadequacy in our humanity, but know this, that God doesn't leave you and I there. God's calling forms us and it shapes us from the inside out because we are part of the good work that God wants to do. Entering into God's calling invites us to give a full and surrendered yes. Here I am, here am I, send me. And as we say yes, we prepare for the fact that the outcome of our calling may be different than we originally planned, and that's okay. As you consider your own calling, is there any particular thing the Holy Spirit wants you to know this morning? The second way we might hear this message is communally and corporately. Isaiah's message was a message for the people of God. It was a message of judgment for their rebellion, their mistreatment of the poor, and their idolatry. And it was also a message of hope. As the church, as followers of Jesus, we are God's people. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has given birth to the church the new Israel. And so this story challenges us to look in the mirror and ask, how have we rebelled against God? Not how have they rebelled against, how have we, how have we the church rebelled against God? How have we perpetuated injustice against the marginalized and the poor? How have we slipped into idolatry, the worship of money and materialism and other isms? On this Memorial Day, even as we celebrate and honor the supreme sacrifice of soldiers who have died for our country, we simultaneously recognize that America is not the same as the church and the church is not America. We must be so careful not to conflate the two. We do not subscribe to Christian nationalism. As the people of God, Isaiah's message invites us to reflect on how we, the church, have strayed from the life and teachings of Jesus. This is not about pointing the finger. I count myself among the faithless and rebellious. And yet know this, there is hope. There is hope because we live with the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in the coming of Jesus. Jesus reigns. His kingdom has come. Praise the Lord. May we, the people of God, renew our gaze upon Jesus. May we who follow Christ the King renew our commitment to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. This is our calling. Amen. Friends, I'd like to invite us in just to a brief moment of quiet reflection so that we might give some space and opportunity for the Spirit of God to speak to us, to nudge us, to convict us. And so in these next 30 seconds or so, would you take some time just to quietly reflect on what the Lord might be saying to you? join me in saying our sending prayer loving God through all our years let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it where we envision peace and work to build it where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship where we discover gifts and offer them may your spirit guide us towards joy and generosity in Jesus name in the way of Jesus. Amen.